I'm Arthur. And I'm Susan. This is the Parent Talk Podcast. Managing the challenges of daily parenting. Thanks to our founding sponsor, Naturopedic, the nation's most trusted source of organic and healthy sleep products for your children. You can visit them at naturopedic.com. That's naturopedic.com. So welcome back to Parent Talk. We're very excited about talking about uh, an issue that I think a lot of our parents experienced when they were kids, and that's sibling rivalry, something we see in uh, essentially all families that have more than one child. Just in case some of our listeners are only children and only have one child, I think they might be interested in this just from the point of view that sibling rivalry is a big issue in the news with the sons of the King of England, Prince William, Prince Harry, and their sibling rivalry out in the public eye. The younger brother here, Harry, wrote a book about this whole thing, and it's called Spare, which raises something that we'll be talking about, how a lot of second children often feel like they're not as full or as big a part of the families like to be. And there is something very powerful about the fact that when there's two, three, four children in a family, the firstborn's always bigger and older through childhood. Now they stay older, but they may not stay bigger, and the power dynamics shift as children get older. But during early childhood and middle childhood, that size difference makes a big difference. So we're going to talk about how this works with kids and how parents can manage it. We're excited to begin the discussion now. I thought that Harry's calling himself a spare is really sort of poignant. You really see how this child felt his entire life. But I'm going to say that what you just said, of course, is true, that once the children get past that newborn stage, the older one is always older, bigger, more capable because just of their age. But interestingly, I think that at the very, very beginning, it's the older child who feels like the spear. It's the older child who sometimes feel like they're being displaced. And the parent is really at a loss because they're having more children for themselves, of course, but because they want their child to have younger siblings and to grow up with siblings. The longest relationships we have in our lives are with our siblings, hmm. longer than we're going to have with a, a friend that we met in kindergarten or uh, your spouse or um, a colleague. Your siblings are going to be your longest lasting relationships. So no wonder parents really want this to work. And the other thing about siblings that's unique is they're the only friends you'll have that can really share similarities, not the same, but similarities of experience with the same parents. So a friend of mine shared with me, he was in, he's a psychiatrist and oh my goodness, I love this wisdom he imparted, which is that every child in a family has a different set of parents, which is true. Our experience of our parents is very different from person to person, but they are the same people, these parents and your brother, your sister, they're going to have shared experiences with you that no one else will have. That could be good. It could be bad. We're not saying that means that you'll get along. So it's a complex thing. I also like the image of rivers flowing back and forth and intertwining. Sometimes siblings come together over time. Sometimes they drift apart over time. That's true across their entire lives. It's certainly true in childhood. And a lot of families tell me that, let's say they have three children. Two of them are very close. One isn't so close to the other two. You know, there's all sorts of ways this shakes out. So once again, we're going to use the theme that if there is a problem, we want to help the person who's Develop the problem, who's created the rivalry to deal with it. 
You're right. And actually, my mother had a thing about, she always worried that when she died, that I would not be so close with my brothers. I'm happy to tell my mother that we are very, very close because my mother noticed that many of her friend's children had become antagonistic with one another. And that was very, very hard to see. So what we're going to talk about is how to maybe ameliorate some of those issues before they even begin, or at least give you the best possible starting point. So in this particular podcast, we're going to talk more about preparing older child or older children for a new baby and those first few weeks and months. In later podcasts, we're going to talk about how to deal with sibling rivalry when both children are a little bit more on equal footing. They're both talking and walking, not when you have a a tiny newborn and a toddler or a preschool age child in the home. So let's start from the very beginning. When do you tell your child that you're expecting a baby? And I actually have a rule of thumb that I strongly believe in. The minute you start to share this exciting information with anybody else in the family, that's grandparents, best friends, whatever, that's when you have to include your child because they are going to pick up on little things. You think that you haven't told them, but they're going to hear someone in the grocery store, oh, you look terrific. Is it a boy or a girl? Well, let me tell you that unless your children are going to be like 11 or 12 months apart, Even an 18-month-old is going to understand and be able to put things together. But unfortunately, when they're not told directly, kids have a habit of putting two and two together and getting six. This reminded me, as I said, that of one of my favorite stories. I this my great nephew, in fact, his birthday is today and he's 20 years old. So you can know this was yes, he was 17 years ago, that his parents, both highly intelligent, very professional people, called me up and said, how do we tell our son about the baby that's coming in a month? Now, this little boy was an extremely bright, articulate, almost three-year-old. And I said, I assure you, he already knows. And she said, oh, no, 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 we haven't told him. I said, I'm going to tell you, I think he knows. So they call me up like the next day and they're laughing their heads off because they said, you know, Larry, we needed to tell you something. We're having a baby in just a few weeks. And he said, what do you think I am, stupid? Of course you're having a baby. Yeah, what a in the other bedroom. Look at the way you look. <laughs> and she's like, you're talking about it all the time. And they they really thought that this very bright three-year-old didn't understand that there was a baby coming. Yeah. Well, I think even from a very early age, and this gets beyond sharing news verbally, but um, emotional news is shared immediately. So yes. even before birth, the baby-to-be is going to feel what the mother's feeling. We know this from uh, studies on, on the subject. And after birth, the baby's life depends on knowing what the parents are at least feeling, if not thinking. And so they are completely plugged into their parents' moods. And if parents get excited about a baby coming or scared about a baby coming, their child, no matter what age, even a very young child is going to feel that. So that means that even if you get pregnant and your firstborn's only 18 months old, as you said, they're going to feel what you feel. They may not know words to explain what you're feeling but they're in on the situation. And I always like to say sharing news with your child is really filling in some blanks. It's not really news. They, they get the news as soon as you feel it. Arthur, I love that. That is a great way to think about it. You're filling in the blanks because without question, even if you're having like a pretty normal pregnancy, most moms are a little more tired. They may not feel so great. There's just going to be subtle changes that we think that an 18 month old can't pick up but they do, don't they? 
Sometimes a parent is worried about perhaps there's going to be a pregnancy loss, a miscarriage, and how are they going to explain that to a baby? Let me tell you, if the worst happens, if there is a pregnancy loss, you're going to be sad. Your spouse is going to be sad. There might be an overnight stay or something at the hospital. The child is going to know these things, and it would be easier to be able to talk to them about this loss if there was some preparation beforehand. No one wants to think about having to do that, but that's the kind of things that makes for a healthier emotional state within that child and within the family. I totally agree with that. It's, it's healthier because your child's going to feel your feelings, whether you want them to or not. They're, they're plugged in. Like I say, their lives depend on them being deeply connected. They learn everything initially from being deeply connected. They really are. And so if there's a loss, pregnancy loss, they will feel the sadness. And so you're not protecting them from the sadness. They're going to share that with you. And if there's been a loss and you explain it, then they can say, oh, now I understand why people are sad at some level, even young children. Now, again, the older your older children are, the more this makes sense, of course. But even at an early age, there's something very, very healthy about sharing the information. Absolutely. Sometimes it's a little hard to put into exact words this idea of letting the child feel their feelings, but also how they're going to be reflecting the parents' feelings. It's a tricky road to navigate, let's put it that way, but it can be done. And it never is done in one conversation. It takes several conversations to help the child work through it, almost like a catharsis. But there are some things that are much more cut and dry. And this is one of my do I call it a pet peeve or what? But you know that I'm going on other social media sites and watching and hearing what parents are saying because I'm into like, you know, what they're thinking about right this minute. And one of the things that you hear from absolutely, I have never heard anyone say anything but this, is that there's a baby growing in mommy's tummy. Mm. Now, I'm going to make a bet with you, Arthur, that the vast majority of those mothers and fathers who are saying that really, really know that the baby's not growing in their mother's tummy. (laughs) (laughs) And you could say, well, what difference does it make? Well, it does make a difference, especially when you consider that many families choose to have their children around two years apart, two years, two and a half years apart. What's happening at two and two and a half years in many, many households when you have a toddler of that age? They're learning to use the toilet. They're learning to master the potty. Now, we all know that the word tummy is something that we use all the time with young children. Oh, is your tummy hungry? Let's fill up your tummy. Is your tummy all full? Are you all done eating? (laughs) Oh, your tummy hurts. Let's go make a poo-poo and, you know, your tummy will feel better. Hmm. If you were two or two and a half, do you see how confusing that might be? Is there a baby in my tummy? Am I going to poop out a baby? And if you think that isn't true, you should, you, you have to talk to some very articulate two-year-olds who are actually quite worried that they might have to poop out a baby. I have seen children hold in poops because they're a little bit concerned about what might come out. I know this sounds a little silly and I don't really mean it because it's pretty serious. It's so easy not to say, yes, it looks like mommy's tummy is big because there's a special place where the baby grows makes the tummy stick out. But the baby is growing in a special baby place called a womb or a uterus. These are not dirty words. And children are absolutely capable of learning those words. (laughs) I love that approach. There's all sorts of things. We try to soften whatever blow we think children are going to experience when they hear big ideas. And we end up causing confusion instead of softening anything. We actually cause trouble It's sort of like, you know, if someone's sick or in the hospital and parents say to their child, oh, well, aunt so-and-so has gone to sleep at the hospital. Well, now they're going to be terrified to go go to bed and fall asleep. 
So same thing with the tummy. It isn't the tummy. And they know what a tummy is. And so I say there's a baby in the tummy. There's never a baby in the tummy. And so I really love the idea of, as we begin our discussion of talking about siblings, that we just get that straight. Womb, uterus, these are very bland words. And it cause a lot less trouble than the word tummy when it comes to babies. Sometimes you might be surprised. They'll just say, uh-huh. <laughs> and that's it. And you don't get much reaction. Or they might say there's not much reaction and then suddenly they're not eating as much or they're crankier than usual or more giddy or excited. A whole range of reactions people can have, just like any other thing that happens to people. And even more aggressive. It's not unusual for children to actually try to hit the baby, quote unquote, inside the mother's body. One of the toughest things for parents to wrap their brains around is that jealousy or feelings of anxiety or uncertainty about a new baby are actually inevitable. How deep and how intense they are, I think, depends a lot about the family situation and about the individual child and their personality. Mm. That's why we want to talk about why it's so important to think about how you're going to prepare your child for this new baby, even before the baby comes, because it allows you a chance, gives the parents a chance to tell their child that it's okay to have mixed feelings about this. Most parents, they want their older child or older children to love this baby and be so excited. They don't allow any space for negative feelings to come out. You're going to love your baby sister. You're going to be the best big brother in the world. You're going to help take care of this baby. You'll be the baby's protector. It's not that they're bad, but where's the other side of the cone? And my oldest child, she was almost four. We shared the news with her that we were going to have another baby. She said, why? She said, wasn't I enough? Aren't I enough? And you might think, oh my God, you must've been horrified. But actually, I was delighted because she was telling me right up front that she wasn't so sure about this big change that was going to happen in her family. And it allowed me to talk about it. And all you need to say is like, wow, I can hear you're really not so sure that you want to have a younger brother or sister. I can hear that. And because she was four, I could say, you know, I'm the youngest. So I don't know how that feels, but I can hear that that's really a little scary and you're not sure. And we can talk about that. And just me saying it was okay for her not to have to have all these loving feelings allowed her to grow those loving feelings. If you don't give an outlet for the negative feelings, where are the big feelings and the loving feelings? Where are they going to grow? There won't be any space left for them. That's just beautiful. You know, I recently heard from a wise person also that toxic thoughts only remain toxic when they're not expressed. Once they come out, that's a way to retune. You know, relationships are all about tuning into each other. And by definition, we are out of tune all the time. We guess the wrong thing. We make the wrong uh, supposition. And a good relationship is one that can retune itself. And so if we come to our child really expecting to be thrilled to be a big brother, big sister, and instead they feel threatened. Well, that's a chance to retune the relationship. They turn out to be in a different place than we thought they'd be. Okay, that's fine. Give them a chance to talk about it and we can hear them through. We can appreciate their perspective. And that, as you said so powerfully, gives them a chance to feel their way towards different ways of thinking about this. 
if we can make one point here today, is that children are going to have ambivalent feelings. And again, as I said, I'm going on my social media, I'm, I'm doing my homework, so to speak. And I see very sweet photos of a, sometimes quite a young child, like a 15, 18 month, two year old, very gently kissing the new baby. That's lovely. Everybody wants to see that. But what happens after they turn the camera off? I don't know what's happening. But then there are some who are posting, and these are supposed to be funny. It's like, here's your baby brother. And I have seen little kids start to scream and cry, push the baby away, yell, no, no, no. And it is sort of cute. But what are the parents saying to the child who says that? Again, can they say, I can see you're not ready to say hello to your baby brother. And I'm wondering if before that baby was born, if that parent had allowed that child to say, you know, you're not so sure about how you're going to like this baby and we're going to take it together, you know, and there could be some days that you love being a big brother and some days that you wish that that baby had just stayed in the hospital. Kids will actually say that. I actually have a few little helpful hints for those first few days. Well, first of all, make sure that when you're having the baby in a hospital, that the child knows exactly who's going to take care of them when they're gone, if it's going to be grandparents or a babysitter or whomever. And I even like to make a little book. Nothing is more powerful than a book that a parent makes just for their situation and their child. And I'm going to show an example of how to prepare an older child for a new baby. It'll be on our website. Okay, so people, parents can look in on that. But once the baby is born, there's a few things that you can do. One is that you have to be careful not to blame the baby for things that you can't do in the household. It's very easy to say, you know, I can't read to you now, I have to feed the baby. Or um, no, no, we can't go to the park, it's the baby's nap time. So then the baby seems to get blamed for everything that the older child can't do. Happens all the time. Absolutely. And because because you don't you're not thinking, you just want to get the baby fed or, you know, get a few things done while the baby's asleep. But if you can just say, like, oh, I think reading a book is a great idea, you go pick out a book and when the baby is done eating, let's read it together. Or I'll go I'll go when I'm done feeding the baby. Right. That's even better, Arthur. Not when the baby's done eating, but when yes, absolutely. Or like a beautiful day for the park. As soon as the baby gets up, let's get everything ready so we'll be ready to go and give the child a little bit of a, of a chore, you know, like getting his shoes on or whatever. All of those are, they're subtle things, but they add up because you imagine that a parent might say something like that, not once a week, but 10 or 12 times in a day. And if you think about it that way, you can think that just those little subtle changes. And here's one of my things that parents have come back to me again and again and said, this is one of the most useful tools that I've had. When does a toddler need you the most? The minute you sit down to feed the baby. That's all of a sudden your toddler, I'm thirsty. You know, I hurt myself, you know, because they're looking, they're seeing this intimate act when you're holding this baby close and feeding the baby and they're feeling very, very displaced and left out. So I tell parents to take an old canvas bag or a, I used to use an old diaper bag and fill it with some interesting things like maybe a bottle of water, a, a snack that is not messy and rotate a few interesting toys like an Etch-a-Sketch or one of those little magic things. So something that can be contained by the child. And when you sit down and the child needs to, I'm thirsty, you can say, oh, let's open your bag and see if you've got something to drink in there or if there's a snack in there or if there's a coloring book with some markers or some 
paper with some markers that the child can go to. And, you know, is it going to stop the child from whining and asking you for things? Maybe not, but it will give your child a very powerful message. I'm thinking about you too, even when I'm sitting here feeding the baby. That's so lovely. You know, it just is another step towards what we've been talking about this whole session, which is that there should be room for all sorts of feelings from the older child or children. And if you make room for that and help them deal with that, then the relationship with the newborn is going to go so much more smoothly. You know, I I just want to share from the practice point of view that I find that for the second born, and I think it's true for the third and fourth born, et cetera, as well. Once you get the second or more born, the response to the older child or children falls into two great buckets. And there's thousands of different ways and everyone's unique in the way they actually respond. But two great patterns emerge over and over. One is curiosity. So the older child may feel completely amazed by this baby and curious. And uh, was I like that? And, uh, oh, can I help you, mom? They're drawn to the baby. And the other is being put off by the baby jealousy, a sense that it's not just jealousy. It's a sense that I had this relationship with you, mom and dad. You changed it. And I'm not happy about it. It's sort of like I've heard uh, people talk about how if, you know, there was a married couple and the husband or wife came home and said, good news, there's going to be another spouse in the family. And, you know, that wouldn't fly. So for that child, for those children who are put off by the birth, it's this sense that something they valued very deeply is being shaken and they want to get back to the way it was. And we hear this from firstborn, actually, decades later, that they they miss the old days when it's just the parents and them. And and kids can go back and forth between the disrupted, jealous phase and the curious phase. But often I see kids fall into one of those patterns and sustain them. Maybe they'll flip in a few months, but they tend to sustain them for a while. I see that duality all the time. And one thing that parents often come to me and they'll say, they love the new baby, but they, they go and they give him a hug or a kiss and then they don't know their own strength and they start to strangle them and the baby starts to cry. And I say, let's pull back a little bit and look at this from a little different way. And I'll point out the fact that that duality is there. They do love their baby brother or sister and that's what the kiss is about. But then they remember what you're just talking about, that disruption and that those jealous feelings. And that's when the stranglehold starts. And I'll say to them, you can talk to them about that. You can say, I know that sometimes you just love, you're curious about the baby, you love the baby, you like to help me. And sometimes you wish it was just the way it used to be without the baby. Two big feelings. It is important to be able to let that child express those dual feelings and not to punish them for it. If they're really hurting the baby just outright, you have to stop them, of course. But instead of punishing them, which just makes them even angrier, if you can just say, let's find another way for you to tell me when you're feeling these big, jealous, angry feelings about the baby being here. And that could be punching a pillow or drawing a, an angry picture or just using your words if the child is old enough. It reminds me, we love to recommend that people carve out time for their older children. So they do get time with their parents, time for that relationship to continue. And that I think comes pretty naturally parents, but it's, it's nice mentioning it as well. Well, Arthur, this was a first foray into talking about sibling rivalry. We only got up to perhaps the first month or so after the baby is born, but we'll take this further in a future podcast. Terrific. Thank you so much, Susan. It's great talking with you about this. Bye-bye, Arthur. Take care. 
Thanks again for listening to the Parent Talk podcast. You can find back episodes and send us your parenting questions at parenttalkpodcast.com. And don't forget to visit our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, at naturepedic.com.